Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, Ryan and Corey here bringing another show for you. We have a phenomenal guest on today, a 30-year-old investor from Tennessee who has 16 units and is living financially free. His name is Felipe Mejia, and he just so happens to be the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Show. So we- yeah, people, people probably know who he is, it, like it, who are just getting started in real estate because he is just like, he just like rose through the ranks, the ranks, so to speak, but he got in with Bigger Pockets and he's the co-host of, of the Rookie Show, which is like blowing up. We got, a big, we got a big dog on today. Yeah, he, he's awesome. Just like so down to earth. Seems kind of like he would fit, hang out with us in the same crowd. Like he's just like a, just a bro who just loves real estate and he doesn't overcomplicate things and just has this simple path and he's financially free. He's 30 years old. Like what a, what a story. Super relatable, awesome guy, family man. Honestly, I can't say, sing enough praises about this guy. Yes. He's phenomenal. So I know Corey and I are going to enjoy the show today, but I hope you all do too. And let's jump in. Yep. All right, Felipe, welcome to the Weekly Juice. We're very excited to have you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I love the name, by the way, the Weekly Juice. I think that's awesome. But Felipe? I'm going to start out with asking you guys a question. Do you know the difference between the juice and the sauce? Hold on. Hold on a second. Because I actually heard that we're the, the sauce is actually the better one. Because <laughs> the sauce lasts, I heard the sauce lasts forever, but we're reversing that. Let's do it. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Does, does, was, does he, do you know I, this I one? Do you know this? No, 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 no. All right. So I don't know about you guys, but growing up, how I grew up, like if mom brought home juice, it was gone within like 10 minutes of being home. So mom never brought juice home, but barbecue sauce lasted 30 days. So we always ask people, do you have the juice or do you have the sauce? Which is better though. You want the to sauce say- is better. Yeah. Uh, we're the quick hit kind of guys. Yeah. We got the juice. <laughs> but, but look, if we bring it to you, you drink it quick. That's all. Let's right? go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love That's it. Right. Let's go. Depends what kind of juice you got. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. That's true too. Oh, that's good stuff. Damn. It got me rethinking, but all right. Well, um, Felipe, like I said, pleasure to have you here. Honored to have you on, on the podcast. You have a, an awesome background and yeah. kind of history in real estate and, and podcasting. Um, but if you could just kind of give a little background on yourself, where you're from, what you do. And uh, then, you know, kind of dive into how you got into real estate. Yeah, absolutely. So first, foremost, I am a Christian, a father, a husband, real estate investor. Um, Love what I do. Got out of the rat race because of real estate. Um, Learned real estate actually through my mom who did it from a place of like, we're in a dark spot where where my parents got divorced. So what ended up happening was we, my mom had to rely on real estate to kind of keep the bills paid and us afloat. I always tell the story, like I, I never felt poor or the, or drowning in debt or anything with when my parents got divorced, but I did always feel the water at my neck. And that was always a really bad feeling. Um, And when my mom allowed real estate into our lives by house hacking our downstairs basement, then we felt the water maybe at our chest or our bellies. Like it felt, okay, we can breathe. Okay, the dollar menu at McDonald's is maybe doable now, right? So real estate allowed that for me and then college happened and all that. And then eventually I ended up getting back into real estate because I found that that was the best way. But that's initially how I started. It was because my parents got divorced and my mom found real estate as from uh, from from a necessity point, not 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 because it was like something she could do. If that makes sense. Awesome, that's a cool story. And by necessity, you found something that you actually ended up loving, which is a really cool kind of like way backwards into real estate, which I think is is pretty cool. So you're from the Tennessee area, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been all around the country, but I don't know, something about, you know, the, the rolling hills of Tennessee here are just amazing. I love being here. Cool. So maybe share a little bit about the, the first uh, dive that you had into real estate. I know that you got started in the mobile home space. How did it, how did it happen with, uh, with you and your mom and that whole, that whole, from that whole time frame? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So 
what happened was when I graduated high school, most of my buddies were getting like their down payment for their car or maybe a graduation ring or, you know, money was being spent on their gift or, or on something graduation high school. Just imagine when you graduated. Right. So my mom's always been a little non-traditional and I've always wondered if it's because she wasn't raised in the United States. So maybe she didn't know. Um, so she's always given us and given, you know, everything she has to us. So what happened was I graduated high school and my mom wasn't aware of the traditions of like, get a ring, get graduation presents, apply for college and, and, you know, do a graduation uh, party and like all that, like just wasn't traditional in that way. So my mom actually, when I graduated said, I don't, I'm not going to give you any of those things, but I'm going to give you my half ownership of a mobile home that she had. So she got remarried and her and my stepdad bought a mobile home and she said that she was going to give me her half ownership in it. And I told my stepdad if I could buy him out of the other half. Uh, and he said, yeah, that's fine. I gave him like 3000 bucks or something. I'm sure it was more than that, but I, that's all he asked me for. I worked with him, paid him his money. And then I got the mobile home. And um, luckily enough for me, my mom gave me my first tenant who is still with me today. If you've heard any of my podcasts, you know about Victor the painter yeah. and he's been with me since dude, 2008 so he is still with me now we actually have a job next thursday that i put him on um it's I, I help him out a lot by finding him gigs and stuff but anyways uh so my mom actually was renting to victor the painter in my in in our basement back then um and she was like here you know you can have him as a tenant after i graduated high school and uh his rent was 500 bucks and i think the lot fee for the mobile home was 350 so since day one, I've been cash flowing literally since day one. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, I think Ryan has a question, but I want to turn into the police officer story because I said previously oh, yeah. that, that you loved real estate, but actually your first love was that you wanted to become a police officer. I'm curious if you have that story and then how that transitioned your love from police officing, may, maybe from a, a point of like a low point in your life to the real estate part. Or the continuation yeah. of the real estate. No, absolutely. So that's an interesting story. Um, I promise I'm not going to cry. I promise I'm not going to cry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I, I used to actually get really emotional about this. So like I said earlier, I was, I, I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, this is my, this is, I, I love it here. I legit love my city. Like you hear, like if I was like a gangbanger, it'd be on like my forehead and like across <laughs> my chest or something. Cause like I legit love like where I grew up. Um, definitely C plus C minus neighborhoods where I grew up in Antioch, Tennessee. Those are your listeners that'll be familiar. They'll know. Um, so I actually wanted to work in my community as a police officer. I'm bilingual born and raised here. I know the streets literally like the back of my hand. I mean, I literally would walk them back and forth to church some Sundays when my mom couldn't give me a ride. Like I understood my neighborhoods, the ins and outs. And I knew that I wanted to join a, like, I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast. There was a there was a program called The Protector, El Protector in Spanish, where I wanted to be a part of really bad since I was like 15. Like I knew the guy that was that dude. And I was like, man, I want to be that police officer, like the Hispanic liaison between yep. uh, the police department and that. So that was my goal. I did it uh, through high school. I volunteered. I helped out at the police department whenever or however I could with free events. And then I went to high school, graduated, went to college, graduated. And I was like, cool, I'm going to apply. So I applied. Uh, I got into the police department. It took forever. Um, and finally, I got in. And about three days in, um, there was a police officer who was a trainer. And his name was Marshall. And, uh, and basically, he was writing my tail since I got there. But I was like, oh, sweet. Like, this is what I signed up for. Like, yeah. bring it on, dude. A thousand push-ups. I'll never do it. But I'm going to try. Like, whatever you want done. Um, and then come to find out he had some kind of vendetta against me. I don't know, but his final words to me was we have enough police officer, enough Latino police officers. You can leave. And that was it. And I was like, you thought he was kidding, right? I, I did. I was like, cool. Like, this is awesome. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, whatever. like yeah. heck yeah, dude. Like I, I, I can take it. What's up. And then like, he wrote me a pink slip, which is like, like a referral in high school or something. I like, supposedly I got in trouble and I was like, Oh sweet. Like I can do this. He's going to send me home. So he sent me home and he was like, you got to get me 10 pages, 10,000 words or something like un undoable in, in 12 hours before you come back. 
So um, what I do, I started writing like crazy. I had my wife helping me, like, just like we were going to do this. And I brought it back and he was like, I told you to do it in pen, not in pencil. And I was like, this dude this is crazy. But I was like, I love it. Like sweet. And he was like, I'm serious though. If you ever come back and step grounds on this, I'm going to arrest you for trespassing. And that's when I knew he was serious about not letting me become a police officer. So I got in my truck. I cried all the way home as a grown man and it broke me. It was insane. Uh, it really felt like the last six years of my life were shattered. Uh, three years of college and then three and a half years of high school. I was like, this isn't okay. Like, cause you made this your world. Did you not? Yeah, oh yeah. Since I was like in, in eighth, in ninth grade, I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I even graduated in my bachelor's degree for in three years so that I could do it quicker. I think it's no one told story me story that much better though, because of like yeah. where you came from and to take that, we talk about it pivoting, like the pivot point where you're like, okay, I guess this isn't going to work out. Now I get to pursue something else and you can dive or into now that. Why, I should say. Yeah, exactly. So like after the police department, um, I could have took this one or two ways. And I remember what, like, I remember that I was like, oh my gosh, this door just shut and it's the only door I know. But if you know, let's say a house, a house has, you would think just one entrance, but no, it has like 10 windows. So yeah, the door was shut, but now 10 windows opened. And it felt, at first it really sucked. And I mean, for a long time, like six months to a year, it hurt, it sucked. And I would have like emotional breakdowns and it was just terrible. Um, but then I slowly started realizing that like God was opening other options for me now when I had such a narrow mind about that. And now I have more options that I can take. I don't know if that really makes sense, but like it just opened up, like now the world is mine. I can do whatever I want now. Once you accepted it kind of. And I think we know your story a little bit too. So like, I, I know what some of the doors that and windows that you say that open, but can you explain how this pivot point in your life led to honestly flourishing in real estate? Excellent question. So because that door shut, I started Ubering. I started Lyft, uh, Lyft driving. I had the whole shared economy. I worked on the construction site where I met uh, painters, roofers, uh, you know, my whole network now of people. I mean, I just started building a foundation that I was able to build a real estate empire on uh, that most people don't get to do. You know, when I first started in real estate, I was like, man, I'm nobody. I know roofers, painters, drywallers, uh, uh, laborers. I know subcontractors and contractors. What do I know about real estate? And then I'm like, wait a minute. I know everything about real I can literally build a house with the people that I know. So like my buddy Diego Corzo says, I'm, I'm, I'm using my weakness as now my superpower. So that became my like, no, I can do this. Um, I can leverage the people that I know at half the cost that the regular guys are doing it at, right? I mean, someone's building at $70, $80 a square foot. I can get it done for like $40, $50 a square foot because of the people that I know. So I was able to leverage that at when I started building out my, uh, the way I do my real estate now. So what does your current portfolio look like just for listeners here, just to build out the. Sure. So 16 units, eight houses, 40 something tenants. Um, basically what I do is I buy single family homes that have basements. So I don't know the builder that decided that this was a good idea, but he was thinking of me. He had to. <laughs> so there's a builder in Nashville in the seventies that was building single family homes with three bedrooms upstairs, a kitchen and a bathroom and a living room, no true master. So just three single bedrooms. And then the downstairs was a two car garage and a giant loft, like a 16 by 20 or the size of the house, basically. And like, who buys that house? A single family with three kids and a mom and a dad's not going to buy that house because there's no true master. And where are they going to put the kids? And so, and then the single guy or girl isn't going to buy that house because they don't have three cars to put in. Two. I mean, it's such a waste. It's, it's a terrible design, but it's perfect for me. 
Because then what I do is I go in and build out the downstairs, leveraging those guys that I told you I know, adding plumbing, electrical, and, and, and three bedrooms downstairs, literally doubling my living space, purchasing a home as if it was a 3-1, I convert it into a 6-2, being able to house hack the mess out of that house. Gotcha. So is that how you kind of built momentum where you would purchase a property, house hack it, build up cash reserves and go do it again? Yeah. So as I, as I told you earlier, Victor, the painter is my, uh, my, my day one tenant. And what he taught me was that I didn't have to pay a mortgage to this day. I don't pay my own mortgage. I never have. My goal is never to, but what happened was after, after I sold the mobile home where Victor and I lived, I used that as a down payment for my first single family. I brought Victor with me. He paid, uh, you know, his portion here, Airbnb the other side. And then I just started slowly building my portfolio that way, saving the money that I would use as a mortgage payment to purchase more rental properties. So think about it. If I'm saving a thousand bucks a month in one year, I have the down payment for a home back in the back, you know, five, six years ago when houses were going for 150 in less than a year, I had the down payment for the next house at 20%. And so forth and so on. From there, I went from one to two to four to eight, et cetera. Gotcha. So were you working, um, kind of building your portfolio, working um, a, a, maybe not a nine to five, but a traditional job. And then at some point, the investments afforded you the ability to leave that. What were you, what were you, were you doing all the odd jobs during that time of like the building phase, so to speak? Yeah, good question. So I tell a lot of newbie or rookie real estate investors that I'm in business first, real estate second. So I was always, I was always the entrepreneurial mind after the whole police department thing went away. And I, um, so I would lift, I would Uber, I would try to find ways to work for myself. And then what I ended up doing was cleaning construction sites. And that's where I met all the guys that I told you about. Yeah. But after that, I opened a moving company um, where that's what funded my real estate. So all that money came in and I would just fund it through real estate. Because I remember working in college as a mover and that was the best money I ever made. Like I'd make 120 bucks a day plus tips. It was great. Like the moving industry is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I did that while I was trying to build my portfolio in addition to. Cool. That's awesome. And now to help fund your portfolio, are you still doing the, the moving business? And then also to parlay that, I believe you do some flips on the side. Yeah. So no, uh, this year, my wife actually made me shut down the moving company. Whoa. She was like, you can do bigger and better. Like, uh, you know, that's the importance of a good spouse, you know, in a relationship, like where I am, my wife challenges me where I'm almost fearful to challenge myself, I guess you could say. Because like, sure, the moving company was doing six figures annually, but my wife's like, you can do the same with less time spent. So she was like, we're shutting it down. The numbers work with real estate. We can, we can live off the cash flow from the rental properties. I mean, we're not going to be, you know, lobsters every night, but, but, but we're good. The numbers work. Um, you're going to go find something else to do. So I was like, okay. Uh, no, but you know, she runs all my books. So if I said no, one day she would just shut it down anyways. Right. So I was like, no, that's fine. We did that. And uh, it's probably been one of the best decisions I've ever made or, or been told to make because it allowed me that freedom. Like, do you guys remember when I was telling you about the police department where boom, the door was shut and like, okay, now my mind is open to other things. So I didn't realize, I guess, that the moving business had been taking up all my mind or all my, all my thought process. And when my wife shut that down, I was open again to like, oh my gosh, new opportunities. So that, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I've been able to kind of grow what I do now. So to, to kind of go off of that, a lot of people are in relationships and, uh, you know, I think there's an importance of getting on the same page. How did you navigate that, I guess, that roadmap of like, okay, I have a great spouse, but I have goals and visions. How am I going to make this work for my family? I think any advice you could share with that would, would help out a lot of people. Dude, excellent question because I get that a lot. So um, for me, luckily, I was blessed with an amazing wife who uh, you know follows me sometimes even into the darkness and we figure it out. But I, I think for a lot of people, the answer would be more don't tell your spouse 
or your partner what's going to do or what you're going to do or what's going to happen, just show them. And the way you can do that is, you know, you can show them the numbers or the books you've read or things like that. And if they're not a reader, okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say they're not a reader and you're like, babe, you got to read this book because like, it's amazing. I'll tell you I what. I did that with my girlfriend, by the way. So, exactly. She just finished Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So this is, this is what I told me. I'm like, look, tell your spouse that you will trade them the amount of time it took them to read the book for whatever they want. Salsa dancing, washing dishes, whatever you want, I'll do it if you'll read this book for me. And, and then just like barter that time. Cool. That's a, that's a really great point. I, I think uh, that's an important- You didn't do any of that, did you? Huh? You no, didn't do didn't any do of that, did you? She, she was like kind of, she like kind of had her toes in because I helped her like get rid of credit card debt and stuff. So sure. she was like, okay, I, at least I, I, I know this guy at least knows something of what he's talking about. So she was kind of willing to do it. I actually haven't asked her what she thought of the book yet. I'm going to need to barter. I know for sure. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. wife is like bookworm. She's read 36 books this year already. Insane. Oh my gosh. That's I'm, amazing. I'm handing down Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and we'll go apple picking. Just whatever it, you want. Sneak it in the pumpkin. Yeah, just sneak it into one of, those, one of those books of that. That's hilarious. <laughs> or I'll just read one of her Christmas novels that she loves reading so much. <laughs> oh, there you man. go. But I, I think that is a really important because uh, – it, it can divide relationships at some point because Rye and I are in the similar path where we're, we know that real estate is going to be a really big part of our journey, but it also takes some sacrifices because we're in our late twenties, right? Um, sure. how, Felipe, how old are you in your mid thirties? I literally just turned 30. Okay. So yeah, he, you're lit Rye's turning 30 in November. So we're the wow. same age nice. essentially. So yeah, it's like, exactly. you know, once you start a family and all these things, but there are some sacrifices, I, I guess maybe to speak a little bit about, some of the sacrifices that you make up front in your 20s and your late 20s um, that have helped you get to this point because house hacking can be looked at as a sacrifice to some people. So let's, let's, clear, let's clear it up here. I don't believe my family has to sacrifice for, okay, for, 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 for real estate. My wife and my son can have and as they please and want. I'm the one that's gonna be sucking down water and lemon and bread if we go out to eat so that we can have for the things that are nice, right? My son loves Chick-fil-A. I'm not going to tell him, hey, dude, you can't have Chick-fil-A because daddy's got to invest in a rental property. No, I got to figure out how to make enough money for my son to have Chick-fil-A, which is the way he says it. And <laughs> Chick-fil-A, it's the hilarious, it's funny. <laughs> I have to be the one to sacrifice. Now, if my, my wife is like, hey, babe, I'm down, like, we won't, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever, then, and my wife's great at that, but like, I never preach or teach or, or mentor people and say, hey, take the food out of your, out of your family's mouth for you to follow this real estate deal. No, dude, it's up to you. So why don't you get up at five in the morning and go Uber for three hours, come back home, shower, and put your son on the bus, and then boom, you've made an extra 200 bucks, 100 bucks that day, or whatever the case may be, or, or why don't you learn how to wholesale? Or why don't you learn how to flip properties or, you know, educate yourself on something, but that should never fall on family. Like, Hey, we are going to make this sacrifice for, I just don't believe that. And I think gurus might tell you different, like, no, make your family sacrifice too. And I don't know. I just don't agree with that. Like personally, I try to take that on myself and then we reap the rewards. Right. So, so to me, that's more important. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, by the way. I, I, I think that's a really good point. While we're on this topic, you've, you've built this portfolio. I believe you said 16 units, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're just turned 30 years old. And this isn't, the question that I'm about to ask is not for you to toot your own horn or for you to brag, but I'm curious like, what you think has created this path for you to become successful. Like, Maybe what type of characteristics that you've had to develop or that you've had innately in you because it may show more individuals that like they think this way. It may help the next person kind of like you do with coaching. I'm curious, what are some of those things that you feel like there's some of those characteristics that, you know, that you've developed? Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, I, you caught me off guard. So growing up, no, no, no. Growing up, I, I was too Mexican for the white kids and too white for the Mexican kids. Because I grew up here, so I spoke great English. So the Hispanic dudes were like, well, you're not Mexican like us, dude. You speak great English, you were born here, you have all the rights. 
And then the white dudes were like, dude, you're brown. Okay. So like I was, I was, I, would, I never really fit in like to the best, if that makes sense. Like I was never called on by the teacher to like help with stuff or, you know, I, I've always wondered like, how come like teachers have teachers pets and I was never like that one or why do I never get to be the line leader? Like now as older, like I kind of see that come on, I'm born and raised in the South. Come on now. Um, so that was always weird. And then in college, it's kind of the same thing. Um, so when I, when I graduated and the police department, like they failed me, whatever, then like there was just all these no's consistently in my life to where when I went to the bank to ask for a loan for a mortgage and the answer was no, you know, metaphorically, I'm sure I did this, but can you imagine I walk into an office, the lady's looking at me, she looks like my documents, I bring everything she asked for and she says no. So I turn around, I walk out right before I close the door, I say, you know what, do a 180, why? Why, why, why can't I get the loan? And that catches people off guard. When someone has to give an explanation for systematic fill in the blank, I don't know. It's not, I don't, I don't, I, it's really hard to be racist at the bank because <laughs> like they have laws that they have to abide by. Right, right. So it's like, why? Explain to me why I'll be back in a week to fix that. So after a while, I figured out that if I can check all the boxes at a bank, I'm going to get funding. Whether they like it or not, I'm going to get funded. So you ask, so, asking why is the... It's is just the, a grit. Yeah, it's yeah. just a... I need an answer as to... I'm okay with the no. Felipe, you can't play in the NFL because you're not 300 pounds to... You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm going to accept that. Yeah, I'm not dunking. But if you can't tell me... Exactly. I'm not dunking on anybody. <laughs> but if you can't give me a reason as to why not, then we got problems. Cool. I think that's, that's a great answer. One that... You know, you kind of just, it goes without saying, but I think adaptability, you've just talked about so many different mm -hmm. scenarios. You talked about using the windows as opposed to doors to create your own path, right? It seems like you've adapted through a lot of different things in your life. And I think it's absolutely incredible. I wanted, I know one story I was hoping you could share about the, the flood that happened with the mobile home. I think that's an okay. amazing story just to, to show how someone had your back when uh, you weren't quite expecting. Yeah, this definitely fits into what I was just talking about. So I had a mobile home. I got to kind of give the backstory. So I was in college. I was coming home. This is kind of how God always had real estate in the back of my mind, but I like never took it full advantage of it because it had something, it's kind of one of those things that I had done forever because my, after my parents got divorced when I was 11, real estate was always there. So I didn't see it as a way to make money. I saw it as a way to survive and I wanted more than just to survive. So I never really accepted real estate until later in life. What happened was I was coming home from college in 2010 around April or May or no, it was before, like January or March. And I would see this mobile home in the same lots that I had mine. I, mine was lot 20 and this one was lot six. And I would drive by it and I would see it and I would be like, man, I should buy that. And I knew it was the spirit telling me, Hey, I need to buy that. Call it a gut reaction, whatever you want to call it. I was like, I'm supposed to buy that, but I don't know how. So I would like ignore that feeling all the time. Driving, because I always had to drive by it to get to mom's house, right? So Saturday morning, breakfast tortillas at mom's house, bomb. And I'd have to pass this mobile home. And I'd be like, I'm supposed to buy that. So one day I stopped by, I told the guy I wanted to buy it. He told me to give him 3000 bucks for it. I said, done, shook his hand, left. And I was like, how am I going to buy this mobile home? <laughs> so I went to my mom. I said, hey, mom, can I get 3000 bucks to buy a mobile home? You see what the other one is doing. I can replicate it with this one. Uh, I think she let me borrow 2000 and I had to come up with the other 1000 bucks. So I did just working, hustling, doing what I got to do. I bought the mobile home and I remember fixing it. Like I was like, okay, now what? Right. And, and I really felt like, okay, just start working on it, getting it rent ready. I was like, cool. I had two weeks. Oh, it was spring break. So I had like a couple of weeks between college to do spring break. And I never went to like the whole Panama City spring break thing. I just would go home and work to make more money. And I fixed it. I fit. No, I'm sorry. I fixed one room, the master. So I moved into it 
and I'm talking holes in the walls. Like the mobile home was nasty, y'all. Like you could see the ground in the living room. Uh, and I'm talking like through to the dirt. And so I rented or so I'm sorry. So I left Victor in the other lot 20 and I moved into lot six, which is a couple lots down and all my college stuff was there. So when I came home, I could study at home or when I went back to Cookville, I could take my stuff with me, whatever. So I had some stuff there and some stuff in college. In May 2010, the Nashville floods hit and Nashville got flooded to include lot six. I had it for two months, like March, April, May. Yeah, like two months. So I'd made one payment on it and I was going to get ready to rent it, um, that master bedroom out. But I had all my stuff in there, thankfully, actually. What happened was my mom told me to call FEMA and I was like, mom, there's no insurance on this place. Like, I've just lost my money. I'm going to get it junked. And hopefully they can give me, you know, a thousand bucks for the metal of it, whatever, or the aluminum or whatever it is. Uh, so my mom's like, no, call FEMA. Like, hopefully they can maybe give you a couple bucks for it or, or because of the housing situation, whatever. And luckily by now I had changed my name over the light bill and the water bill to my name. So it was my personal resident, right? Lot six instead of lot 20. Um, called FEMA, filled out the application. I, I think I met with the guy once and he came out. He's like, okay. Looks like it's a total loss. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you later. And I was like, oh, okay, I just got denied for FEMA help. That's what I thought. Um, it was the end of the month. I was headed up up the, uh, the little hill there at the mobile home park. And I remember getting to the mailbox and opening it up, just dreading the bills that were about to hit because flood or no flood, them light bills and water bills are coming in. And so is the, the, the lot fee on it. Um, plus I still had lot 20 that I had to take care of. And it was just like, I was like, Oh, this is stupid. Like I should never do this. <laughs> I got my check out. Um, and it was like a bill and the next, the, the, the next one, a bill, whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. Threw some stuff away. And I saw one and it was like a government thing. And I was like, Oh, great. I, they're going to like move the mobile home. <laughs> yeah. Another tax bill. I don't know. <laughs> I got it out. And, uh, I don't know if like when you like the government, uh, check things, Come in like the one that's got like the little clear plasticky part yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Window pane, yeah. Yeah, that thing. And and like I started pulling it out and I saw like the 300 on there and I was like, dang, I owe 300 bucks. All right, whatever, that's fine. So I like I ripped it open and I like started peeling it out and I saw 300, but I saw a green check like the, you know, the checks you get from your income tax or the taxes. So I was like, oh, wow, they're paying me something great. So I saw 30 and then I saw 300 and then I saw a comma. And then I saw like, and then I thought I saw 3000. So I was like, sweet, dude, I got the money back that I bought the property for. This is awesome. Yeah. I was so excited. Um, and then I opened it up all the way and then my stomach dropped to my toes. And I remember just tearing up. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was holding this check in my hand I'm shaking. I'm freaking out. I, I'm sitting there in the middle of this parking lot. And it was a $30,000 check from FEMA to cover the cost of me living there. And wow. uh, it, it just blew my mind. The power of even just a small mobile home, real estate, if you will. Uh, and, and that was literally tax-free, free money. I 10x my investment. Um, I it was wild. I remember calling my mom and just like bawling, just saying, what do I do now? Like, this is crazy. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that was, that was that, but just to make a long story short with the money, I fixed the rental property or I fixed the property as like, it's still nice to this day. We actually still own it. Um, and like every responsible college kid, I went out and bought myself a sports car with the rest of the money. <laughs> <laughs> as you should have, man. Cause that was as like, I it, seriously. Cause it, it took you to this low, low, like I'm thinking Very low. when I, when I had like a mini flood from a rain in my house, very minor. But even in that moment, I was like, you know, you kind of assume the worst. And for you to be in the situation where everything gets flooded, you think you're going to lose it all. You think you hit rock bottom and then you get this check. You're like, okay, I got to do something with this. So it's a really cool story. And I'm glad you bought a, I'm glad you bought a sports car because uh, <laughs> you know, you deserved it. But it I kind of want to pivot a little bit because I want to talk sure. about, I have written down here your first real estate deal, but I really want to talk about more just a typical real estate deal for you because you mentioned how you turn um, these homes into six bed, two bath, I think is what you said. I'm just curious if, you could, if you'd be willing to walk us through some numbers on one of your typical homes 
maybe what you buy it at, what you turn it into, and then what it rents for and kind of your, um, just how your investment works. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I do is I find a, I, I find that house that I explained earlier, right? Yeah. The three bedroom, one bath with two car garage and loft. Um, the first thing that I do is I, I go and look at the property, but so that I'm not wasting time, I literally take my contractors with me, plumber, electrician, and framer. And I'm like, Hey guys, I'm going to pay you 120 bucks for the day or whatever, or most by now they just do it for free because they know they're going to get the job, but they come with me and I walk the property with them and my realtor. And I'm like, Hey, framer guy, which is my framer Chicho. I'm like, Hey, Unc, can you go downstairs? And how many bedrooms can we get out of there? electrician. Hey, Jaime, can you go down there and make sure that we don't have to pull permits? Like there's already wiring downstairs. There's already enough uh, uh, space in the electrical box. You know, can you just check all of that? Great. My plumber. Hey dude, can you double check that there's plumbing downstairs, that there's a washer and dryer because that indicates to me there's hot and cold water downstairs already and a waste. So the, your dryer, I'm sorry, your washer has to get that water into the sewage system. So if it's downstairs already, that means there's already plumbing down there for a shower. A washer and dryer to me is the equivalent of a full bathroom because it's already got the electrical and the plumbing that it needs. Interesting. And that, so, so I take my three guys and then I look at the property. If the property makes sense, when they tell me what the cost is going to be, then I buy it. So let's run some of those numbers. Let's say that the property valued at 220, I have to get it for less then it's going to cost me to build those bedrooms downstairs. Let me explain. If my, my people tell me, hey, it's going to cost five, five, and five, that's $15,000, then I have to get the property at least $15,000 under market value because I'm not going to put $20,000 rims on a Honda Civic. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. Come on now. Y'all get I it. Love that. I like on. that one. All right. Uh, that was good. good. Uh, that, I'll try. That I really dope. tried on that. That was the sauce. Does that make sense though? So like, I'm yes. not going to invest more money in a property than it's worth. So if they're asking for 200 and it's worth 220, I know I'm going to pop 15 into it. Done. That's, that's a home run all day. Right. I'm going to stop real um, quick. My qu yeah, I have a question yeah. about What's that. Up? Do you, use a 203k loan and put the rehab uh, in the cost of in the mortgage or do you take that 15,000 out of pocket yeah so i'm going to explain it to you the way i explain it to everyone dude i'm not fancy cool that's, what's that's a 203k loan i'm just kidding i do know what it is but <laughs> when i started i didn't and i didn't act like i did like no i would save up 15 grand so that i knew what i was doing dude these hands don't lie they're calloused i worked for that stuff I, you know, nothing against people that, that do it better than me because yeah, you can get a 203k loan and do this and get fancy and yada, yada, yada. Dude, remember when I graduated high school, I didn't know I was supposed to have a party. <laughs> like I come simple, bro. Like as simple as it comes, the house is 200,000. I need 15,000 to build out the downstairs. I got to go put 20% down. That's just what I did eight times now. Right. So super simple. And that's what allowed me to have the net worth, the cash flow, uh, everything organically by me working for it. Cause I've had to do that my whole life. And, and to answer your question, you know, a 203k loan is basically the, the, the bank giving you the money for you to build that out. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I guess you could go that route, but no, I didn't do that. No, it's cool that you, I think it's cool that you didn't because you had the sweat equity into it and you like, and you know that you want it to be tangible and in front of you. What is that? Yep. What does it rent out for after you finish the, the rehab? Like, it's sure. So yeah, let's run the numbers on that. So um, when I go for a $200,000 property, my mortgage plus insurance plus all that's probably going to be like 1300, another 250 in bills, maybe 300. So maybe $1,600 a month all in. Um, then so my upstairs is going to rent for $500 a room, which gives me easy math, 1500 bucks. I'm negative a hundred dollars. Yep. Most people aren't buying that house because of that reason. Not Felipe. <laughs> I go downstairs and now I rent the downstairs for $400 a room for two rooms plus one of the rooms for 600, the big loft that I told you about. So do the math, 1400 bucks minus a hundred that I needed for upstairs, 1300. Bang, bang, bang. I'm cash flowing about 1300, 300 for CapEx. I keep a thousand bucks. Yep. 
That's great. It's That's, simple, dude. It, it's awesome. It really is. Like if you can cash flow that much by affecting the property the way that you do, it's it's incredible. And you say you rent it by the room. So does that mean that you have like you don't have family staying there? You have like either like single kid, single adults that that want to rent a, ro- a room to themselves. Is that the idea? Yeah. No, we don't have single kids. That would be weird. We not, have single <laughs> adults, not single kids. <laughs> we yeah. have adults. Like he's getting red. We have adults in the upstairs. We have basically what I do is I cater to the traveling professionals, but yeah. not like the nurses that you're thinking about. Like what I do is I cater to, let's say that professional master framer who gets hired from Texas to come up and lead a crew in Nashville for 18 months. I'm hiring, I'm, I'm, I'm catering to that dude who left his whole family and just needs a room. Like he's not tripping about a, a 1400 square foot apartment in downtown Nashville. He's here to make money, send it back to Texas or wherever he's from, New Orleans, whatever. And then uh, he just wants a $500 room that's in a decent neighborhood with a hot shower and a kitchen to cook. So I'm, I'm renting to those dudes upstairs and downstairs. Typically, it's them and their brothers or sisters or whatever, because they're usually coming together as a crew. That's awesome. The reason he's that so successful is because of how, like, how well you know your niche. Like, let's calculate. Yeah, remember, I was on the construction side. Remember, guys, I was pushing a broom, so I know the story of the Mexican dude. That's like, no, I'm not from here, bro. My family's in Texas. I'm here for 18 months on a contract, and then I bounce. I'm like, sweet. Where do you live? He's like, at the hotel. I'm paying a thousand bucks a month or whatever, a week or whatever. Yeah, way more. I'm like, probably. whoa that sucks <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. like i was like i can tap into all of these people you found your niche yeah so exactly. a couple questions here uh but first off how do you essentially market your properties like i know you know how to speak to them and i know you worked in that industry but like how do you get your properties in front of them and say hey listen like this is what i have open yeah good question so facebook marketplace and facebook groups is really cool yeah so like it's so weird how people adapt for example there is literally like 60,000 Hispanics in Nashville that are traveling professionals that literally will pass the room to each other and say, Hey, I'm leaving this room next month. You can have it. And then it just gets passed on and passed on and passed on. So, so by weird. now I'm known yeah. as that guy. Cause I have Hispanic uh, tenants and they did, and they did that. Like, they're like, Oh, I know somebody else who can fill it. And it's, it's, it's a cultural thing, which I think is great. They're always helping each other out, trying to get new people in the unit. Like my, the previous, the guy I bought my, one of my properties from like he, he, I inherited the tenants, but he was like, yeah, these are people that I know that knew other There's people. A warm lead. Yeah. yeah it's, great. it's yeah. So it's cool. It's, Sorry, it's, go ahead. it's just like that. They just, they communicate to each other. Hey, I'm leaving here. Here's so here's the next crew coming up behind me. Um, you know, you can rent to them and so forth and so on. So yeah, I have, uh, I have a, a band of brothers upstairs, a different band of brothers downstairs. And what's really funny is most of the time they work together, the upstairs and the downstairs. Hey, like, I know you from the, you're the framer. I'm the plumber. Like, yeah, we're working on the same construction site. So it's pretty chill. So that probably helps when it comes time to fix something in the house. I assume that, that oh, they don't have to do it. much. Yeah. They most of the time they fix it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So um, another marketing question here for you too, but it's essentially like how more, more so deal finding, like how do you find your deals specifically these properties? You said there's one builder in the seventies, I guess that specifically built the type that you're looking for. How do you find those? Yeah. So like I said earlier, man, or like you said earlier, it's my niche and people aren't looking for these homes. So the moment they come available, I'm like, okay, that's a nice house. I'll go look at it in the next couple of days or today or tomorrow because no one's looking for that house. Cool. So, so I, I MLS really just really simple MLS. So I'd love to tell you a fancy story of how I dropped 20 mailers or 200 mailers and like, get I was all hoping fancy you had some mailer stories. We don't want no, that. Dude. We don't want like, that story I, as much because like, yeah. we want people to realize that like, you can find deals in the MLS all yeah. day. Like, and- you just got, it just got to fit your goal, dude. Yeah. I mean, like I said, for me, it's, I'm not fancy. If you were like, Felipe, what's your cash on cash? What's your ROI? What's your, what's your, what, what rule do you use? I would literally look at you and, and be confused as crap because I'm like, Dude, I don't know. I know that I make a thousand bucks in cash flow per house. Define that how you want. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the best part about what you're saying is that you're not overcomplicating it and you're not yeah. getting flustered in the details. It's like, you know, this formula works. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And like, I think that's honestly advice for us because we're both sort of pretty analytical guys. So where we're like, we have to get the numbers right. And it's like, you can kind of fail forward. Like, 
you, as long as you know you're buying a good deal and it is a good deal when you buy it and you keep buying those, it's going to work out, right? I believe, exactly. I believe one of your mantras, Felipe, is take care of the big things, right? And worry about the yep. little things after. Yep, exactly. Is that yeah. Um, I heard that. <laughs> yeah. So what he's saying is I worry about the big things. Like I worry about the mortgage payment. I worry about, I'm going to rent this place out for 1500. I'm not worried about, oh, I got to say $50 in a month for CapEx. Dude, if I'm making a thousand bucks in cash flow a month, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Like it's going to be okay. So I don't bury myself in the details. People say the devil's in the details and that's true. But if, if, if I'm worried about the dollar, I don't have time to worry about every single penny. That still equals a dollar when you get a hundred of them. So when you have a hundred pennies, you can analyze every single penny, but it's still only a dollar. So why not focus on the dollar versus the 100 pennies? That makes sense. Beautiful, yeah. It really is. like it makes so much sense. It it does. I it think makes I need sense. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see what you did. That. that was a good one. That was a good. That was saucy. He's for that one. He's, he's good. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> so um, that was funny. I mean, we talked a lot about numbers, properties, etc. But I know you're a big family man, and you know you want to take care of your, I guess your your legacy. There it is. Oh, there it is. There's love it. There you go. And I say give thanks yeah. too. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. And I think a lot of people listening are too. I know m- myself. I am. I want to know specifically for you, like what is almost like an end goal here, right? Like as of now, I, I believe that you're financially free, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Like you can, you, you and your family can do what you want based on your real estate. Did you have a certain number of houses or properties that you needed to attain to, to reach that number? And are, when are you done or are you just going to keep going? Yeah, that's an excellent question, man. At first I didn't know. And I think that's why I bought a multifamily here, a six unit apartment complex there, a mobile home here, a flip property there, because I didn't know my goal. And then one day I had to sit myself down with my wife and was like, dude, what is my selfish, independent, personal goal that's going to most positively affect my family? Say that five times fast, right? That's, <laughs> that came off the top of my head. So well, like I had to, <laughs> you got to record it. That's good. I had to figure that out and and say, what do I want? It's not $10,000 a month, 100 million units. It's not that. The, I read a book called Life and Air. Brandon Turner, shout out to Brandon Turner, OG, for recommending this book to me. He said, Felipe, read Life and Air. Because I had told him, like, dude, I want to do this, this. I got this much money. I'm really good, yada, yada, yada. And he was like, dude, read this book. And I read it, and it rocked me, dude. It's one of those, like, read over and over again type of books. Because it talks about, I'm not going to give away the story, but it talks about this dude who like built a massive company. One day he went to one of his houses. He got hit in the back of the head with a thing. Someone almost robbed him. And he was was trying to figure out like why he was doing it all. And at the end of the day, he figured out that he had a goal, but he was trying to purchase the goal instead of allow the goal. And let me explain it this way. I don't have a numbers goal anymore. My numbers goal, if you want to set it as that, is more of a time. How, wh- how much time can I physically spend with my family before they either get tired of me or I have to go back to work? So that looks like this. Let's say I have two real estate deals. One pays me 1000 in cash flow and one pays me 500 in cash flow. But the 1000 is going to take three times more of my time monthly than the $500 goal or the $500 cash flow. I would used to have taken the thousand bucks because on paper, like you guys, makes more sense. But my goal is time. So I'm going to buy the property that gives me my time back. Right? So does that relate to um, kind of your market in terms of maybe buying in a in a better area because the tenants might not give you as much issue. Is that the, is that where you get that time kind of valuation from? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So my goal is going to always, I always look at a deal and I don't do 1% rule. I don't burr the, I don't, I don't, I don't get strategies. My strategy is how much time is this going to cost me? People are like, Oh dude, it's going to be a $50,000 payment, 16,000 rehab, yada, yada, yada. And I always wonder, I'm like, I'd love to see if in there, and I'd love to see you guys in your analysis, where is your goal at? Go look at the analysis you did on the most recent property 
And did you write down as one of the X factors is my goal? How does this positively or negatively affect my goal? And if that's not in there, you're building a bunch of different bridges and you have no idea what you're doing. Because if you don't have a reason as to why you're purchasing or doing that goal, then you're going to fail. So cool. I buy real estate and my, my, so I do the numbers quote unquote after this, once we're done recording, I'll share my screen and I'll show you how I run my numbers. It's going to freak you out. And then at the bottom, I'm like, does this give me time or does this take time away? And that's my deciding factor if I buy a deal or not, or I flip a property or not, whatever. It's awesome. Uh, for, for people that don't know Felipe, um, like we're getting to know him now, or we listen to him on the, on the podcast, on his podcast, Felipe is on the bigger pockets, rookie podcast. Um, and I think it's a, it, you're one of the hosts and I think it's a really cool, like, first of all, it's a great networking tool for you. Right. I mean, sure. we don't actually know this. I'm asking it organically. I'm wondering how that came to be for you because you're looked at in the rookie, so to speak community as like, that guy. You're, you're like at the end of the rookie. You're like, you're, you might not even be a rookie anymore. I don't think you are. <laughs> you're not a rookie when you're financially free. Let me tell you why I am. I am financially independent, but I don't have like Ferrari Maserati money. Sure. Okay. So like I'm in that in between where I'm like, yeah, me and my wife can go out to eat, you know, two, three times a week. That's not going to kill us. But we also aren't taking, you know, going down to Bora Bora and our thongs sucking down martini money, neither. <laughs> yeah. So once in a while, you could. <laughs> every now and then, hey, I, I can go. I can go try on my thong. No, but like, I, I, so all of my money I've invested in real estate. So now I'm working on creating heavy cash flowing business where I can now spend as I please. Versus having to invest. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think everyone's goal should first be to reach financial independence. And then after that, create businesses that are cash heavy for you. So can you just define for the layman here, like financial independence? Like, what does that mean? Sure. So add up all of your bills and you're also like your play money, your bills, everything that would sustain your life and divide that by the amount of cash flow you need in rental properties. So what most people did when I first started, and then don't let me forget, I'll answer your question about how I got on the podcast. Yep, yep. Uh, back I don't want to forget that. But um, what I did was I did that. And then I said, instead of how can I get a hundred properties to do that? I said, what is the least amount of properties that I can buy to give me fire? Financial independence, retire early. What is the fastest way that I can do that with the least amount of problems? And what I mean problems, I mean rental properties. And I figured that out first. So instead of buying 20 single family homes, I would buy 10 and then multiply the cash flow by two, top and bottom. Cool. I don't know how familiar you are with Chad Carson, but we had him on, uh, like somebody I look up to, like majorly. He's, he says kind of the same thing. Like, how do I get to $6,000 a month? He could do it in like eight properties or something, but he talked a lot about the least amount of properties to get there. So it's cool. Exactly. Huge. So segueing back to Bigger Pockets yeah. and um, how you became the host of the Bigger Pockets rookie show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's another highly favored to my wife. Uh, my birthday was May 14, and that was I think last year or the year before. Uh, my wife. Uh, we just had our son and she couldn't like get out of the house to go buy me a gift or like, and we were actually talking about this on the way home from dinner. Like she couldn't figure out how, what, or how she, what she was going to give me for my birthday. Um, and what she did, she knew that I was listening, you know, just like probably a bunch of you guys are like religiously to uh, bigger pockets and Brandon Turner. Um, and what she did was she DM'd Brandon and asked if I could have a, you know, 20 minute conversation with me just to like, I, I would have been like, I, would, I was like, man, that would have been amazing to talk, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so she DM'd him and it just so happened that me and Brandon Turner's wife share a birthday. So that caught his attention. So all you gotta guys that are going to, that could be fair. Yeah. You gotta, <laughs> yeah you gotta be I, like I said, I, I, I'm a man of faith and I, and I believe that God works in those type of ways. Yeah. And uh, it just popped out of the pain. I mean, if someone's like, Hey dude, can you talk to my best friend? 
this is his birthday and it's like the same as your wife or your girlfriend or yourself you're gonna be like oh okay that's that's actually pretty cool yeah i mean we shared whatever there's there's that immediate connection if you yep. will that's small but enough and he said no uh because him and his he always me and his no. wife share what a birthday a <laughs> right what a guy no we share a birthday so obviously he's not going to talk to me on her birthday but he talked to me the day after so the day after he calls and we end up talking for like an hour and a half and we just got to know each other and just rock star dude super humble christian um just super cool dude and we we just kind of hit it off he asked me to be on his podcast then i was like oh my gosh this is amazing i'm talking to brandon turner and i'm going to be on his podcast like whoa uh and then my show did really well me and diego corzo my business partner are like a couple of the only latinos that have ever been on bigger pockets it's mostly like i don't know just not Hispanic people, but, but it's not because of anything other than there's just not a Hispanic real estate like community or a lot of us. Sure. There's not many, um, not because of anything else. So I got on bigger pockets. My show did excellent. Uh, I was told it did really, really well. And then, um, they were wanting to do another podcast for rookies because bigger pockets, uh, found out that like 70% of the listeners have never done a deal, which puts them all in rookie places. Yeah. And, um yeah the grant cardone stories are great the robert kiyosaki's are awesome but i'm probably never going to be the next grant cardone or robert kiyosaki so bigger pockets saw that they needed a, a a podcast for rookies and um they reached out to me and like 50 other people and this is why i this is why i feel like i got it so first obviously you know uh my wife with what she did but from there me and Ashley, my co-host now, decided to, uh, we knew that each other was in the running. So we connected outside of Bigger Pockets and started doing mock real estate interviews, like just mock interviews. So by the time they asked us to do one together, we were rock stars. And they were like, holy crap, like we didn't even got to train you. You guys, you, flow. you got, yeah. And we just crushed it. So it was a no brainer once that happened. Act as if. That's amazing. You yeah. know, you would say like, um, dress for the job that you want, not the job you have, something like that. Like, Correct. Dress yep. Love that. And it's, uh, rise a question here or the, uh, another statement here, but that, that's kind of the reason why we even started our podcast to go off exactly what you said is because I love to make, to build this, you know, massive real estate empire, but I started listening to bigger pockets and I love Brandon. I love David. I love what they've done. And they were the ones who got me into it. But sometimes I think when they bring on guys who have syndicated, to, to 20,000 uh, homes, I'm just like, I need to get simpler. And I thought yeah. that Ryan and I have a cool story. We're building a portfolio together. Maybe people want to hear that. And then the people that we bring on who are around the level and maybe a couple levels above where we are. And that's kind of similar with you on the Rookie Podcast. So it's cool. Exactly, dude. 30 feet in front of me is awesome. But what about just my next two feet? Can you help me with that? Like, sweet, you're way up there. That's awesome. I, I Nothing against you, but we're not going to connect over coffee, right? I still have simpler questions to ask than what you're willing to answer. So that's why we got a rookie <laughs> it's show. so funny you say that because I listen to Grant Cardone. He's like, ah, he's like, ah, you're broke. You're broke. It's like, dude, calm down, okay? Like, these, yeah. a lot of these people, like, don't know how to start, and they come to you. I have my opinions about Grant. It's not, like, one of my – he's not one of my favorites, but I don't know. Like, nah, same. majorly successful, but it's just, like – I feel like he talks down to people. Like it's like yeah. there's a lot of people like us who just just getting started or at you're at step eight, right? It's Not step yeah. four hundred. It's tough. He's he's different too. I mean, yeah. you know, he's some people level. take to that tough love, right? Like we, I mean, I don't know. We not to bring it back to the to the police academy, but like you. They were going in. You're like, I love. Like, let's go. Bring <laughs> it. What's next, baby? And you know, whatever. I just think. Everybody's different. I don't want to bash anyone, but I, I agree. I, I'll do it. Two steps from <laughs> good cop, bad cop. This guy's totally bad. there. You go. There you go. Um, one last one um, in regards to you know bigger pockets and everything. Yeah. At one point, you mentioned that the way I guess a stepping stone to get on the show was you offered to, and you brought Brandon a deal of a mobile home. Did that ever come to fruition, or could you give us a little backstory on that? Yeah. So, um, okay. So I had Brandon Turner's number because we had talked from uh, my birthday or whatever, but I wasn't going to badger him with, I knew that he was on level 30. So I was not going to ask level two questions. 
but I'm still level two. So I was like, how do I connect with level 30 if I'm on level two? I had to ask level 30 questions. The answer was irrelevant. That's great. The answer was completely irrelevant, but it was more about building that connection with him. I knew he was starting to look at mobile homes. I said, uh, remember the lot 20 and lot six that I have? It was, uh, it had gone for sale and then not for sale and then sale again, the the mobile home park. And I was like, hey, Brandon, if I reach out to the dude, are are you looking for a deal in Nashville? I, I can reach out about this mobile home park. And he was like, yeah. So we started talking more as friends, like just building that relationship. Who knew if the deal was ever going to work or not? That's irrelevant. What, what was relevant was me getting in with him. Bringing him value, right? He saw that you were a resource for him. And that was the biggest thing probably. He was like, exactly. this Felipe guy, like he has my interest in mind. Why would Brandon not then in turn have yours? And not forcing exactly. a relationship with 15 texts a day. Like I'm sure you deleted a million texts that you had set up I, for him. We, and just, I believe you said that actually. Yeah. And just yeah. like got on his level, but also it was organic in a way too, right? You, you, crafted, you crafted the relationship, yeah. if you will. That's exactly right. It's amazing. Um, segue, I know we're kind of wrapping up here in a little bit. Um, we, we appreciate your time. I don't want to like take too much of it, but I know you are a coach and a speaker. And if you could just like dive into that, like outside of bigger pockets and in, in your podcast, like do you specifically mentor a group of people or, or what do you mean by coach? Sure. So same as as most people that have something to teach. It's very organic. Um, just like I reached, or my wife reached out to Brandon Turner, but just like I nurtured that relationship by allowing myself to be taught by him when it comes to real estate, by bringing him a deal that I knew nothing about, but I knew was his expertise, inadvertently he was coaching me. Because he was like, hey, Felipe, make sure you ask about this, 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 and this, and make sure this, and let's do this, and let's do that. Wow, Brandon Turner's coaching me without him knowing. Make sense? I didn't ask Brandon to coach me. I brought him something in his wheelhouse that I wanted to learn. Cool. So, yes, I I help people like that as well. Awesome. That's great. We think, um, like we said, we respect your time. We want to make sure you can get back to the fam. But... (laughs) Our last segment of the show and kind of tying in here to our final thoughts is called the, the fresh squeeze of the week. We had it at the, at the last drop. It's called the fresh squeeze of the week for like four or five weeks now. Might be the sauce now. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But so, and the fresh squeeze is essentially like, what are some resources um, that have helped you or you found extremely valuable in your business or your, in your growth, whether that's a a book, a a podcast, an app, a tool, and then, you know, tying that into how you could help maybe investors that are just getting started. Sure. So, uh, I mean, not to get like religious on you or whatever, but <clears throat> I think a lot of people will find value. And this is rarely talked about. There's a book in the Bible, the book of Proverbs. And I think even if you're not a religious person, you should read that uh, as, as you evolve in your career in real estate and business, whatever because there's a lot of just really good fundamental values that come from it. Um, that's, that's probably like a really strong resource from there. It's just identifying your goal. Like what is your goal and why are you doing this? Because if you don't, if you're, if your goal is just money, dude, there's way better returns in real estate. I mean, way better returns in other stuff. Just freaking go gamble it away. I don't know, <laughs> but you have to have, you have to use real estate as a tool to get to your goal. So when you're buying a property, when you're buying this, when you're buying that, it has to underlyingly affect your goal positively. And, and once you've identified that goal, then you can, then you're going to do well in business because you're going to make decisions based on that. Um, and the way I found out my goal was a book called Life and Air. That's one of my favorite books that I have. Um, so yeah, Book of Proverbs, the book, the book Life and Air, like Millionaire, but Life, Life and Air. Um, those are probably two of my strongest resources. And then, you know, my, my, my super weapon is definitely my wife, but you can't have that one. So don't try, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it, Felipe. What, if somebody, if there's a way that people would 
you know, you're pretty active on social media. I don't know if that's the best way to reach out to you, but what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Should they want to learn more about your story or, or just get in touch? Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah. IG is probably the best Felipe Mejia REI. That's my Instagram handle. Um, and that's where I'm most active with, with everything I do. I got a YouTube channel as well, Felipe Mejia, where I talk about what I do with real estate. And that's more of like my active life of what I do in investing. So YouTube and uh, Instagram are probably the most. Cool. It's awesome. Yeah, this has been great, man. I, I, we've been, it's funny. I feel like I know you just because of the Instagram and because of the podcast, but it's yeah. really great to actually get to know you. I, I hope we can stay in touch. Um, yeah, we have sure. some cool things going on and I know that you're, um, you're going to continue to build and I have no doubt that you're going to get wherever you're going, <laughs> you know, so, I appreciate it. Um, absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me guys. 